in, if you want to turn to Genesis 6 in your own Bibles, you can read along with me, but I'm going to read it out if you don't want to turn to it. Okay, Genesis 6, we're starting at verse 5. It's at the beginning if you're stuck. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the human heart was only evil at that time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless amongst the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence, and because of them I I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all kinds of living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And then, as you probably know the story, if not, you've seen from our wonderful drama that um, the world floods, all these animals are safe in the ark, and then um, it rains for 40 days and 40 nights, and then Noah gets out with the animals and starts all over again. But if we look at verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the human heart, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at that time. See, that was the context that Noah existed in. But if we read in verse 9 that in that context, Noah was a righteous man. In that context, he was a righteous man. He was blameless amongst the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And what this, these verses show me is that, like, God cares about the human heart. Like, he was upset that all of the hearts were turned against him were evil. God cares about the human heart, and that Noah's heart wasn't like that. All the hearts were against, but then there was Noah, and Noah was righteous. His heart was righteous, and his heart was for holiness. And that's basically what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm kind of using the story of Noah as kind of a launching pad to dive into the kind of topic about holiness, and I'm going to talk 
a lot to do with joy and holiness, which I'm going to call happy holiness, just because it sounds good. Um, yeah, so I'm going to talk about happy holiness today. Um, to get started with that, there's a word sanctification, which is used quite a lot in combination with the topic of holiness, and I just wanted to find that so we all know what that means, because it's one of these words. So sanctification, to be set apart and declared holy unto God. To be set apart and declared holy unto God. And there's this thing called positional sanctification, another long word, but this is or positional holiness. And this is, if you've given your life to Jesus, and if you've embraced what he's done for you on the cross, this is what you already have. It's your position that you're in. This is something that comes by virtue of relationship with Jesus, similar to a son being born into royalty. Once we become a follower of Jesus, we are born into God's kingdom and into God's family. And through what he's done on the cross, he washed us clean, he wiped our slate, and we are born into his family, we're born into his kingdom, and we're set apart unto God. He's given us positional holiness by what he's done. Like, if you think about the son born into royalty, regardless of the, how this son proceeds in his conduct from then on, he's still got the same position, he's still a royal, he's still a son, and it doesn't change, it's just the same. And regardless of how you think you're doing in faith, in striving towards holiness, know that you, you've got this, like you're in the family, you're loved, you're accepted, you're desired, you're forgiven, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're an heir, and this stuff won't change. Like, it's not, it's unshakable, this is the fundamental truth of who you are. Like, and the spiritual warfare and the enemy will try to attack that and make you doubt, oh, am I? But actually, this is the core, this is like, you need to have this as a backdrop for your entire life. But particularly also when looking at the issue of holiness, you just really need to keep this in mind as a backdrop. And because often sometimes when holiness is preached about, it can cause us to like look inward and go into guilt and shame and think, oh, I'm not good enough. And, but actually just keep this in the backdrop. You are loved, you are desired, you are forgiven, you are accepted. That won't change. Like keep that as a backdrop for everything because... Yeah, we don't want to cause this to like go into guilt and shame, and we want to move forward with God. And because shame and guilt doesn't belong to us, because we walk in grace, and that's what we walk in. And just before we start properly, I'd like everyone to stand up, and I'm I'm just going to break any shame and guilt off the church, so we just can really be in a good, fresh mindset, just ready to go for this. Oh, Father God, thank you for what you did on the cross. God, Father, thank you for who you say we are, that we are loved. God, that we are desired. God, that we're accepted, that we're forgiven. God, that we're sons and daughters of the living God. Thank you that that's never going to change. That's who we are. It's in our DNA. Yeah, Father, any shame, guilt and condemnation that is in the church today, I just want to break it off in the name of Jesus because it has no place in us and it does not belong to us. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. I just break that off with the, what you've done on the cross with your blood, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I've talked about positional sanctification. Um, 
That's the stuff. It's not going anywhere. Don't doubt that. Don't ever let the enemy or anyone or try and question that because that's who you are and that's not going anywhere. But what I'm talking about now is something called pro- progressive sanctification or progressive holiness. And that is something that begins at salvation and continues right up until the day that we enter heaven. It's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more free from sin in our actual lives. It makes us more free from sin in our actual lives. And it's not about time. So someone could be a Christian 20 years, someone could be a Christian 5 years. And a person who's a Christian 5 years could have run a lot faster and harder and really pursued this holiness and got a lot further towards it than someone who's been a Christian 20 years and sat in passivity. So it's not about time. But it's from being born again, becoming more and more like him as time goes on and just reflecting who he is. And yeah, so that's progressive sanctification. Next one is perfected sanctification. This is when we are in heaven, when, or when Jesus returns, the day we die, we will be eternally perfected in heaven. We will be fully like Christ, except for his deity, the fact that he is God. We will be fully like him. So you have position. You, one day you will be perfected. Right now, you're progressing. We're, it's about the journey. That's what we're talking about today, this journey. And I'm not talking about being perfect and doing everything completely perfectly. Don't get that misconception in your head, because that's not what we're talking about today. 1 John 3 is like one of my favourite things in the Bible. I just read it, and you know when you get this verse and it just like hits you and you're like, yes. And I'm just going to read verse 1 to 3, I think. Oh, maybe, yeah. No. Anyway, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God and what we are has, has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. I love it. So today we're not talking about striving, we're not talking about getting, trying to get approval or trying to perform, that's not what we're talking about. This whole thing has to come, it's out of a love, desire towards Jesus. What we're talking about is just, I love the king, I want to be like my king, I'm going to pursue my king, that's all we're talking about. And don't try and get it confused with getting approval or performing or works, because that's not what we're talking about. And this stuff, it doesn't make you saved more. It doesn't make you loved more. It doesn't even make you approve more. But it's good, and it's worth pursuing, as I'm going to talk about in a bit, and I'm excited about it. There's a verse which is in Leviticus, and it's repeated again in Peter, and I found it such a challenge when I've read it over the years. Um, and it's this, Be holy as I am holy. And I've, whenever I've read that, I've always found that so challenging. I've f- kind of found it a bit like a, be holy as I am holy. And it's kind of made me think, oh, I'm not holy. I should be holy. I should try harder to be holy. It's kind of feel, felt like a bit of a beating. Be holy as I'm holy. But actually, the more I've looked at it over the past couple of months, like the, I've completely changed the way I see it. Like, it's, this is the greatest possible invitation. 
See, God would not have said that if it wasn't possible. He's too good. That means that holiness, to be holy as he is holy, that's not unattainable. (coughs) Hebrews 11 describes Noah as being an heir of righteousness. And in Romans 8, 17, it says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You see, Noah being an heir of righteousness, that meant that his righteousness came from God, and it was God's righteousness, which was given to him. And just, we're heirs, and the way we be holy, we can be holy as he is holy, because he is holy. It's God's holiness, and it's 100% him that makes us holy. It's him who sanctifies, and we can't work at it. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, it's beyond our capacity. Like, we can't do it. But here's the thing. We actually do get a part in it. If we look at Noah, we see this beautiful relationship of God and man just working together in such a beautiful way. And, like, yeah, so God was the one who saved Noah. God sent all of the animals. He gathered them all up, sent them to the ark. God was the one who... He even gave his detailed instructions to Noah about how to build the ark but here's the thing Noah was the one who had to build the boat and it's similar for us it's all God and his work that can make us holy but actually we are given a responsibility to step out ourselves and to journey with the Holy Spirit because it comes down to this that the Holy Spirit is not commanded to put to death the deeds of the flesh we are in Romans 8 13 it says this For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And in Romans 6, 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. See, the Bible actually teaches us that we're dead to sin. Dead. There's not much stronger word they could have used than that. Dead to sin. And guess what? Dead people don't sin. But not only that, the Bible teaches that he gave us a new nature. He didn't just leave us being dead. He, we took on his identity and his nature. And in 2 Peter 1 verse 4 it says, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. So we get a new nature. But sure, sometimes you do get some of the old nature sniffing around. You do. But guess what? We get to crucify it. And sometimes you might have to do that daily. Sometimes you might have to wake up and say, God, I choose you today above all else, and I choose to die to anything other than that, any flesh or any desires. You might have to do that daily, but actually there is such joy in that. Like, when it comes sniffing around, you can just smack it back down in the grave where it belongs because you're dead to sin. And there is such joy in that. Because it's what he's done. Romans 8 verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. You see, old you died when Jesus died. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what Jesus has done. You were a sinner, and now you've been made a saint. Romans 8 verse 5 verse 8 says this, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. That means that we aren't still sinners anymore. You were a sinner, now you're a saint. And there's this kind of attitude that I've felt, not necessarily in this church, but just generally around that kind of, it's been floating around like, oh, it's okay, we're all sinners, 
we all mess up, it's okay, everyone does, we're all sinners, just amongst the Christian community. And then you're kind of, once you hear that, you just believe you're a sinner and like you're in this cycle of tr trying really hard not to sin and trying your best not to sin, but just still believing that you're a sinner and then you wonder why you sin. If you believe you're a sinner, then you're sin by faith. But actually what the Bible teaches is that you were a sinner and now you've been made a saint. That's what Jesus did. So many people go around in these cycles of trying really hard not to sin and trying just, yeah, but still believing that they're sinners because that's what they've been told. But actually, when you look at the Bible, that's not what it says. It says we're no longer bound. You don't have to sin. It is possible to live a life without sin, without shame, without condemnation or guilt for the rest of your life. And that should not come across as revolutionary teaching. That is what the Bible says. And I refuse to lower my standard of what I believe to what I've experienced, but I raise that my belief up to what he says and believe that he is enough to do it. Because that's what it says in here. And I'm going to say if, not when we sin, if we sin, we walk in grace upon grace upon grace. If, not when. We're no longer bound, guys. We're no longer bound. Also, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, we need to learn to be able to deal with it well. Because that means that he's making us more like him. It's like often in prayer we're like, oh God, I want to be like you, make me like you. And then he points something out in you and you allow shame, guilt and condemnation to get in and you're like, oh, oh, and it's painful and you kind of like... Keeping it real for a second, have you ever, well I'm just saying this from personal experience, but I know it's an experience of many, like when God points something out, maybe it's in your character, whatever it is, that, um, or something you've done and you just know it's not pleased God and you kind of avoid him for like three days and you like just try not to speak to him and kind of it's shame, it's like oh I don't want to because I've done this and we allow sin um, to separate us from God and actually what he did on the cross was break that like he's already paid the price so sin didn't have to separate us from God like what if what if when you sin if you sin sorry if you sin <laughs> if you sin you run straight to the father faster than you ever have before what if when the enemy touches or tempts us, it causes us to pursue God more and harder than we ever have before and worship him harder, to pursue him harder? So the enemy touches you, you get close with God. He touches you, you get closer with God. He touches you, you get closer with God. He touches you, you get closer with God. Pretty soon he's going to realise that it's not working the way he planned. When God deals with sin or any fault in action, attitude or character, he is purifying our hearts. And um, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's these things, and I think they're called the Beatitudes, and I just love them so much. They've just got these like tangible promises, like you could hug them, they're like so tangible. Like Matthew 5, they say, I love this. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What more could you ever want to see God? You don't have to wait until you die to see God. Aid used a verse last week. Exodus 33 verse 20, when talking in the Old Testament, no one shall see God and live. To go from no one shall see God and live, to blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That is the gospel. That transformation between that and that is what Jesus has done. But actually, the more I thought about no one shall see God and live, actually, this is still kind of true, but in a new way and not in the same way that it was before. You see... No one shall see God and live. Once, once you see God, once you look in his face, once you have seen how beautiful he is, you've seen how, like, how much he loves you, how majestic he is, how wonderful he is, how strong he is, how amazing he is, once you've seen, once you've caught a glimpse of God, you cannot live the same. You cannot live. And like all the flesh and all the desires and stuff, it just has to die. Because you can't live the same because you have seen God. You have seen a greater love and you cannot settle for anything less. And see, we live in a taste and see that God is good kind of world. And that's, that's how this whole thing fits in. This is how it Holiness, everything, it should come out of a taste and see that he is good. And once you've seen he is good, like before when I was talking about getting sin out of our lives and dying to self and stuff, it seems quite hard and like, oh, like kind of ripping off a plaster when it's like, it's like, oh, I quite like that sin, actually, if I'm honest. And like, it's hard. But actually, once you have seen God, once you see God, once you see his face, once, like, it will be such a joy you could not get that off fast enough and you want to run. There's another one that I love. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What a promise to be filled. See, some people describe this lifestyle of pursuing holiness as being a narrow road. But let me tell you that it's the only road that you will find joy. It's the only road where you will be truly filled. It's the only road where you will find yourself dancing down and you won't even know why. And that is the happy in the holiness. That is what we're talking about. The happy holiness that comes from seeing God. What if? What if we chose to actually live this out? What if we chose to actually live this out, guys, and to run towards holiness because we have seen his face and he is good? What if we chose to never settle for a lesser love? What if we were ruthless in chucking out anything in our lives that would hold us back? What if we chose to do this, not just in this moment, but every day for the rest of our lives? 
What if we were to be called righteous people, blameless amongst the people of our time? What if we stopped teaching Christians that they are sinners but started loving them enough to run alongside them? I, sorry if this comes across hard-hitting, but actually I can't water this down because I love you too much. What if we were people who chose to never let shame steal another day of our joy? What if we lived our lives with such authentic, happy holiness that when non-Christians looked on, they would be like, oh, well, I don't really get all their faith in what they do, but man, they've got a joy. What if we actually believed that he was enough and started to live like it? Yeah, I'm just going to close by praying for everyone and me. (laughs) Oh, Father, thank you that you are a good God. Father, let us see your face. Let us fall more in love with you. Let us see you like we've never seen you before. And God, help us to run. Father, help us to chuck anything out that will get in the way, God. Help us to be people who've got our hearts set on you and on holiness and on joy in that, God. I just ask that you release joy in this church for holiness, God. That we would be a people who step out and set a new culture and a new standard in our lives because we have seen your face, God. Amen.